Welcome, everyone, to the Family and Stories podcast, where the stories are always told by those who lived them without the filter of pride and pretense. My guest today may very well be the most accomplished woman I've ever had the privilege of speaking with. In fact, uh, it's not really fair that God would give so many gifts and talents to one person. There's got to be something wrong with that. It's just not fair. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these, and uh, this is going to take a second, but I'll tell you, this is this is worth knowing. This woman was named one of America's most outstanding women. Uh, she's a gold and a silver Olympic medalist in track. She pioneered the 800-meter run for the United States by being the first, and I think at present, the only American woman to bring back a gold medal in that event along with the Olympic record, the world record, and the American record, which she held for 15 years. Now, that's a long time to hold a record. Uh, she's been a member of four Olympic teams for the United States, spanning 16 years. And as a speaker and a leader among world athletes, Madeline has shared her personal testimony at the White House and on the steps of the Capitol. Among the many halls of fame that she has been inducted into, they include the National and Olympic Hall of Fame. Uh, at the 2000 Sydney Olympics, she was honored as an Olympic legend in the stadium. In 2019, she was inducted to the Cleveland Sports uh, Legends Hall of Fame and the prestigious Tulsa Historical Society and Museum of Hall of Fame. She is the founder and the president of the United States Council for Sports Chaplaincy, and she served as the chaplain in, guess what, 88, 92, 96, 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012, and 2016 in the Olympic Games. And she also served six years as the chaplain to the WNBA Shock basketball team. Uh, she has a Bachelor of Science degree, a couple of doctorate degrees, and I'm out of breath. More things that, uh, that I can mention, and I can't believe one person could do this. And then besides all of that, she's a contemporary gospel recording artist. But I would like to welcome Dr. Madeline Manning Mims, and she goes by Madeline. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Look how long it took me to read those, my goodness. You know, but <laughs> underline all of these accomplishments, Madeline, the most beautiful part of this Underneath of that, there's a deeper story, and that's what we're really going to talk about today, is also what God has done in your life. Tell me a little bit about your family. Well, um, I met my husband, Roderick, in Cleveland, Ohio. He's from Cleveland, as I am. Uh, at that time, I had a son that, from the age of five, that he helped to raise. And then we had a little girl, uh, 17 years later, Lana. So John and Lana. <laughs> They're 17 a, years apart. Wow. 17 years apart. Yeah, but they are fantastic uh, young people who have all, all of them, plus my husband, have been in some type of sports. My husband was in karate, and they were in track and field and basketball, and Lana was also in volleyball. So she kind of followed up to mommy. <laughs> in that well, well with that with that DNA, you know what else is going to happen. <laughs> so you're well, you're proud of your two children, that's for sure. I am. I really am. They're very articulate, very loving, love the Lord, and they're they're just type of kids that you you would like to have. Not that they were perfect, uh, 
but they're they're so compassionate toward other people. Uh, And there are times when I've gone to their programs and and just listened and just been in awe because of like, wow, where did you learn that? (laughs) Well, you, you know what? Madeline, that doesn't just happen. It it takes parents to bring those things out of kids. It's wonderful though that as they as they get older, they still walk in that, don't they? They can't get away from it. That's true. They and they they've gotten better just for me to watch them with other people and uh how they care for both of them are personal trainers and then my daughter also is a phys ed teacher and an athletic director down in uh, Florida. So to watch how she works and how uh, John works with people, it has, has, has been a joy, a real joy. I'm just so proud of them. And you you should be. So let's go on to another subject here. Tell me just a little bit about, and how did you get into running? I was actually discovered in high school. Uh, you know, they had gym then, back then, and uh, we had to to do a lot of different exercises uh, coming up under President John F. Kennedy's program to find out how the American children were doing against other nations' children. And uh, so we had to do that. And you probably had to do this yourself. You know, those pull-up and push-ups. And, and We did. We did. Yeah. All of that stuff to see how physically fit you were. Well, that's where I was discovered because I was so shy. I I wouldn't say anything to anybody, but (laughs) that was, I didn't realize I I was an athlete. Oh, really? You you didn't have a plan? You didn't think about that? You just were testing? no, no, no. I was just doing what everybody else was doing. But then when they put in that that, uh, physical fitness plan in school, that's when they discovered I had uh, athletic to- uh, talent and asked me if I would like to go into some type of sports. And I said, well, what do you have? And they said, we have volleyball, basketball, and track for girls. So I went into all three. And within a year, we were state champions in volleyball, basketball, and track. I think I had something to do with that. <laughs> I, I just, you know, threw myself into it. You know, some kids now, they talk about dream of going to the Olympics. I didn't even know what they were. Well, now, so tell had, people, you know, that's interesting. Tell people where you came from. What what part of town did you come from? Uh, well, the inner city, the projects area, it, you know, it was a ghetto, but it was not a ghetto because it was one race. It wasn't just uh, black Americans. It was all mixed. But we were we were a ghetto because we were all poor. So there, there weren't a lot of opportunities there. There were just people in bad shape. I can even remember when I was a little girl that the mothers would send their kids out to play when I was out there because I had this knack of bringing the kids together, organizing them and organizing their play. When I first would go outside, there was nobody out there. <laughs> and then uh-huh. all, all these kids come from everywhere. And I didn't realize I was being a babysitter for a lot of moms who. So they would say, hey, Madeline's out there. Go on out and she'll get something for you guys. I know. And the other thing that I did was a lot of them were hungry. You know, they didn't have a lot. And my mother would cook big pots of 
black eyed peas and cornbread. And I would bring those kids in the house when they were hungry and sit them down, sit them around the table and tell them, say a little Bible verse. None of them knew anything. So I said, well, say Jesus wept. And they would, Jesus wept, Jesus wept, Jesus wept, you know. (laughs) So you you were a believer early in life. Oh, yeah. Since I was six years old, I've, I've actually never known a life without God in it, which is weird to me when people don't know him or know. have never experienced that. It's it's a different world. It's a different life to me. Um, but those kids would eat and eat and eat. Um, I remember many times them eating two and three platefuls of food because they were hungry. And it wasn't until later on that I realized we did not have that much in our pot. We had, When we finished, we had enough for the family and we would have something left over. And not till I realized when I got over, older and started reading the Bible for myself that I realized God was still doing miracles. Isn't that something? <laughs> God was working miracles for you and you didn't even know it. So you were running in junior high and high school. I, when did you transition into being just a runner? Probably the last few years of my high school because I met a coach, a Hungarian coach that was watching me at one of the state meets. And he realized I had a lot of potential, but I didn't know what I was doing. And he asked my mom if he could work with me. And it started a whole different relationship. And within a year, I was not only one of the top runners in my school, but I was a top runner in the United States. And then I broke a world record as a 16-year-older in the 440-yard dash. At 16 years old, you you owned a world record. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it was it was crazy because people really didn't know me at school until I did that. Things changed rapidly. You you became became, famous quickly. (laughs) Yes. You know, because I was so quiet, people wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't say much to me. But then I came back from Russia, Poland and West Germany over the summer. And all of a sudden, I'm, you know, this big star at the school. That that wasn't an Olympic. That was like a world championship or something. Uh, U.S. versus like Russia, Uh U.S. versus Poland, U.S. versus Germany type of thing. And I was still quite young. So, and I had never been out of Cleveland. Really? You can imagine. Yes. You can imagine my world just blew up because, you know, I'm now seeing things I have never seen before. Maybe read a little bit about in history books. (laughs) (laughs) I know you, you have a book of stories and we have to limit it to to some anyway, just to get through them all. Yeah. I, I remember we talked on the phone the other day. You know, we were on the phone together for about an hour and a half. And you didn't Two even. Two hours exactly. Was Two it? hours. Was it? I, yes. I looked and I was like, oh, I, I, we've been talking a lot. But we had a lot to say. We did. And it was really, really good. Well, now you stepped at, at that point, you stepped into, you were a world-class athlete. And so you qualified for the Olympics at that point? I didn't qualify for the Olympics until um, I was a sophomore in high school and in college, sophomore in college. I started my running career, I guess you can call it, at in 1965. Uh-huh. I 
I actually, uh, that's when Mr. Alex Ferenczi found me and started working with me. 65 in the nationals at the girls' championships, that's when I broke the world record in the 440-yard dash. They put put us over into a women's segment of relay where I was running the 440 as the in, and that's where I broke an open record of the 440-yard dash at that time, and they took me off the girls' team and put me on the women's team. And that's how I ended up going overseas. But it was all it was all new to me. And then in 1966, I went up to run the 440 indoors in Canada. They switched the 440 to the 800 meters indoors while I was in the bathroom. <laughs> I was always saying, Be careful when you go to the bathroom if you're competing because they'll switch things on you. Well, I come back out and I don't know that we've changed. And finally, I asked the official, I said, you said it was five and a half laps? You know, how could that be? And and he said, yes, you start here and you end here. And so I said, well, that's a little long for 440, right? And he said, oh, no, this is the 800 meters. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong race. He said, well, the ladies wanted to change that to the 800. If you want to complain about it, you know, you, you have the right to. And so that was your first opportunty to run an eight eight hundred meter race, and you had never done it before indoors never run it before <laughs> ended up running a world record is that right? oh my yes. goodness so you and were that, you were no doubt you were Olympic bound I mean when the trials came up for the Olympics, you probably swept everything yeah well the yes. And before that, could because I ha- we had the uh, Pan Am Games in '67 in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, and I broke the Amer- the Pan Am record and set a new American record there. And so I, I realized that you know I was going toward getting a higher degree of competition. I don't. I still don't think that I really understood everything yet. I think I was just enjoying running and I love winning. (laughs) So I would do whatever necessary in practice to win. You know, some people think, you know, they look at you and say, oh, I'm I'm sure you love to run and you're still running. How how long do you run now? I was like, I have never really liked to run. (laughs) Just for running sake. But, you know, get out there halfway, kill myself just because I love the pain. I'm not into that, okay? But I love to win. So the pain came with winning, to pay the cost to be the boss. There you go. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what was, you know, that's what compelled me to do uh, uh, a lot in in trying to be the best. And so during that time, of course, you were were a believer. Did you have a conscious decision that you were going to run for Jesus? That actually happened, Jim. When a guy came up to me from my hometown in the uh, at the Olympic Games in Mexico, I don't know how he got back there because n- no journalists were supposed to get back there. But he ended up back in the back with me where we warm up right before we go out to the uh, stadium. And he was telling me, you know, it's it's so we're so proud of you back at home. You know, everybody's talking about uh, 
our, our hometown girl is at the Olympics and this is exciting and everything. And then he looks at me, cocks his head to the side and says, uh, do you think uh, you'll make it? And so I looked at him, I thought, what kind of question is that? So I, I said to him, well, you know what, since I've been here, I realized that everyone who is here to compete is here to be number one. They're going after the goal. And I said, and I'm no different from them. So just watch me. That's when I got aside to myself and began to reflect. And I was like, you know, who does believe in me? I know that my coach, I know that they're pulling for me, but they don't know the outs, the outcome of this. You know, what the results will be. They think they have a pretty good idea that I should be able to be a medal, medalist. Uh-huh. And then I thought, my mom's here, you know, and she's just praying that her little girl gets around those two circles and come back home safely. She doesn't care about anything else. <laughs> and then I thought about even myself. I said, you know, I've, I put all this work into this, but I really don't know the, the results. And then that's where I made the vow. I said, Jesus, this run is for you. I'm from now on, I'm running for Jesus. And that's where that profound statement came from that ended up being a book and then an album of me sharing my heart with that from, I'm not going to do this just for myself. I'm not going to do this just for my country. Uh, or for anyone else, but for you first. Now, didn't that lead to a, in one of the Olympics or a preliminary or something you told me, and I, I've, it's vague for me, but a, a moment when that actually got challenged? Yeah, this was, uh, this was the uh, 1976 Olympics, my third Olympic team. You know, you will have, if you keep running, you will have those days where you will run very lethargic. And you just hope they don't show up at the Olympic Games. <laughs> <laughs> so that's but just that, something that happens. happens from time to time. It just, you can't do yeah, anything it about it. it happens from time to time. Your body just won't go with your mind and what's inside of you. Um, it's almost as if you're running really fast inside, but your body outside is not complementing what's going on in inside. And that's what happened to me in my semifinals at uh, the Montreal games in the 800. I ended up running a really lethargic race. Now, were you a world record holder at the time when that happened? Yes. So you were expected to win. Well, I expected to win. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a tough, there were some tough girls there, some uh, Russian girls and European girls that were really, really tough. But, you know, I could hang with them. But that day, it didn't happen. It really didn't happen. And I remember walking off the track, and I felt like I had two people on the side of me talking. One was saying, you know, you should really ask God why he did this to you in front of the whole world. And it would cause me to, to feel sadness and to pull back on my faith. And then over here, it was like, this one was saying, you let's not make bargains with God. You know, this is not about what you can do for him. It's what he has done for you. I mean, this conversation is going on in my head. I'm fighting back and forth and I will never forget. I walked through off the track and through the little tunnel 
And I said, shut up. <laughs> Everybody stop talking. <laughs> but it, I wasn't talking to them. I was actually talking to myself, these these two voices going on in my head. And and so everybody got real quiet and I sat down and I'll never forget one of my teammates who didn't make the team, but that was there had come down to see about me. And she just sat next to me quietly. And all of a sudden she said, um, Madeline, I, I've never told you this, but I came back to running because of you and because of the faith that I saw that you had and how you were so strong in encouraging others and how you encouraged me. I just want to tell you that I love you very much and that I just want to thank you for being who you are. And it was as if the Lord himself had come and sat down beside me and just said, I know the pain you're feeling. I know you're hurting right now and you don't understand a lot, lot, but I love you. And I'm here for you. And thank you. And, you know, it was such a moment of intimacy with God. I walk up, I get up and I walk out and I meet my coach. And he said, Madeline, there there are a lot of uh, journalists here from all over the world who want to talk to you. Do you feel like talking to them now? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. So I walked out there and... Everybody with all kinds of boom mics and cameras were right up in my face and everybody's talking at the same time. And all of a sudden, uh, this little guy came up and, and he said, I'm sorry, I, I know this is confusing and maybe this is not a good time, but we need to know something. You have been saying that you're running for Jesus. You have a book out, you have an album out, name that. What we want to know is, are you still going to run for Jesus or are you going to try something else? And I was like, what? And I looked at him and I said, because um, they were dead silent. I mean, the whole world was listening. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah. And I just said, you know what? The reality of it is that my faith in Jesus Christ is not a figment of my imagination. I'm not serving some idol God to get me something that I can uh, say, yeah, I'm first in the world or I'm a medalist or uh, I'm, I'm a famous person. I, I'm not doing that for that reason. I said, you know, the, the reality is whether I'm on this track or whether I'm uh, somewhere else in the world, I will always run for Jesus. And so they got, <laughs> he said, thank you very much and cut his camera off and left. <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't like that message real well, do they? This one guy, I'll never forget, he stayed back. He said, Madeline, you said something about dying out there on the track. What did you mean by that? You know, it was like dying to all the self-centered things that maybe I wanted. They died out there on the track. But what lives is the fact that I know that there is nothing that can separate me from God. There's no gold medal, no world record, no fame. Nothing that has the power and the ability to separate me from his love. And because of that, I, I, I feel more life than I ever had before. And he's like, that's interesting. 
And thank you for sharing that. <laughs> so really, that whole incident affected you dramatically, didn't it? And your perception oh, yeah. of why you were out there. Exactly. The, it, you know, the reality, I think, coming up knowing God <laughs> and and having the relationship that I've had with him for, since I was little, it didn't surprise me that... Um, God can do some mighty great things. I, I I saw them even when I was a little girl, uh, when we were praying and asking Jesus to heal somebody's cat or, you know, the grandmama was tired or sick or whatever. And all of a sudden we, we would pray our little prayers, you know, and all of a sudden they, they would be healed. So I recognized as I got older, God is still capable of doing godly things. But I hadn't really experienced him in this valley period of my athletic season, at the height of my athletic A week before the Montreal Games, we had done a, um, a trial run in a 3,000. Just whoever wants to run the 3,000, that's where you could set a, a world record. And I set a world record. So I knew I was ready. But here in this situation where I know I'm ready physically, but something goes awry in the actual production of my my run, I'm battling now with my athletic prowess to that of my faith. God, where are you? What What, what is this all about? Why did this happen? You know, these are things that people ask every day. And for him to answer in such a unique way, uh, first through my friend and then the journalists and newspaper people who all were there from all over the world to have an opportunity. And I think about this, Jim, if you really realize it, maybe had I won, you know, they would put me in a book and, and it would talk about that was great. You know, she came back and was able to win the gold medal again. But would they have ever asked me about my faith? Probably Would not. I have ever gotten the opportunity before the whole world to express my love for Jesus? It, it, it was just totally, uniquely godly planned. It really was, wasn't it? I mean, I, it gives me chills when I start thinking about how this all happened. But, you know, there was another thing you were telling me about that is every bit uh, equal to this in, in what it means. You were in an Olympic race. I don't know if it was preliminaries or what it was, but you were competing with, you were the fastest person in the Western Hemisphere. Is that correct? Right. And you right. were competing against the fastest woman in the Eastern Hemisphere. And something dramatic happened. You have got to tell this story. I don't care how long this takes, but you, you've got <laughs> to tell the story because it, it's so powerful. Uh, and it really shows what God is doing through the life of a human being. That, that's true. The Lord has taken my life as a runner and used it for more than just running around in circles. I mean, dogs do it every day trying to catch their tails, so there's no big thing about that. But God has uniquely taken the gift that he has given to me to share into the lives of some of my competitors. Vera Nikolic was from Yugoslavia, and she was a fierce Half mile. How, how did you say her name again? Vera Nikolic. Okay. N I K O L I C. She had won the European Championships 
I had won the Pan American Game Championships, and we came together in 1967, the year before the game. We both were really nervous, but I mean, because it had been blown up as the event of the USA versus uh, European Games. I remember getting to the line and just, oh gosh. I think both of us were just shaking our <laughs> in our knees, but when the gun went off, we took off. Well, I'm a, a fast runner in that I get out quickly and I usually take the lead. She knew that. Apparently, she had studied my, the way I run and whatever, and she did not come up to me, you know, or behind me at the time. She just kind of held back. But when we got into our second lap, that's when she usually took took off and took went faster and faster and faster the second lap that she could coming off the last curve she real i heard i heard her coming up and i was just relaxing so that i could have plenty of kick left just as we were coming off the curve she comes up to me realizes as i'm i'm driving with my right arm that my arm is is opening my whole side to her and she takes her elbow and just gashes me in my side to the point where it knocked me over the barrier into the infield onto the ground I rolled over I was so angry Jim I was so angry I thought to myself I'm kill her <laughs> in other words this was no accident <laughs> no I knew it wasn't an accident that was not a very godly thought either but that's how I felt. I'm being truthful. Okay? Yeah, you, were, you were furious. <laughs> I was furious. I was so mad. I thought she hit me. And, but the anger made me get up quick and go after her. And we caught up. I caught up to her. We had about less than 100 meters to go. And we are battling back and forth and back and forth. She edges me out. And then I come back up on her and edge her out. So it ended up that right at the end, I surged and leaned. And when I leaned, it, I just out leaned her and won. I was, first of all, this guy, I don't know where he came from, but big old fat guy came out of the track from somewhere. And I think because I was leaning, he thought, okay, I need to catch her so she doesn't fall again. But when he caught me, I was still in full throttle going forward, and it knocked me out. Really? <laughs> it knocked me out. So I'm there, you know, limp in his arms, and uh, one of the uh, my teammates runs over like, put her down, you know, you're killing her. And he goes, oh, and drops me on the ground. So they take me into the trainer's room. During the time that I'm in the trainer's room, Somebody runs in. It's the French trainer's room. So I don't know what they're talking about. It, and and I'm afraid because I don't know what's going on. But somebody told them that one of their girls is running and they all left out, uh, left out of the room with me on the, laying on the table. And I'm still kind of dizzy from everything. And finally, I get sick at both ends. Oh, my and goodness. It's not a pretty picture, you know. And so I finally find myself into a potty and I'm, <laughs> this might be a little gross, but out there I am sitting on the potty, sick as a dog. I remember thinking to myself, 
why did she hit me? You know, you were still, you were still mad. I was still angry about her hitting me. (laughs) And I was, uh, you know, I'm crying and going on, you know, and sometimes the Lord is so gracious because he lets us have our little pity parties and our temper tantrums. And I was going through the whole thing, you know, and I was so upset. And finally, the Lord just spoke to me these words. And he's just said, Madeline, you never have to hate anybody to be number one. For in due time, I will lift you up. I will exalt you. Wow. And then I felt so bad because I thought, you know what? I, I had no right to even think about wanting to kill her. You know, I, I didn't give her life. I have no right to even think to take it away. And so I, sitting there on a potty, I asked the Lord to please forgive me for my attitude and my words. And in that second, all of the sickness went away. And we got out there. They called us to, you know, to get our accolades. Of course, I won the the gold medal. She had the second, uh, the uh, silver medal. And then the German girl had the third. She was the bronze medalist. She wouldn't even allow them to put her medal on her over her neck. She just took it and held it in her hand. And then they announced that I was the most outstanding female athlete of the meet. And that did it for her. She threw her silver medal into the crowd and walked off. <laughs> and the German girl, she hollers at her, good for you. And if they had disqualified you like you're supposed to be, I would be standing over in your place. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, whoa, yes. But I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to go back into that potty situation again. So (laughs) I was. (laughs) It's kind of funny, really. (sighs) I know it's hilarious. But, But I learned a deep, valuable character principle. Don't ever go so far that you end up hating your competition to win. I didn't want that. Well, we ended up the next year at the Olympic Games, both of both of us representing our countries. She Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia, me, USA. And and what happened is at the semifinals, they were taking the first four out of each heat. They took two they had two heats then and they took four out of each. Well, she was in my heat, and we knew that that both of us could make it. It, it, it wasn't a point of uh, whether we would make it into the finals or not, because we, we could run much less than we normally did in, in a finals to, to make the semis. But after I finished, I'm looking around, and I don't see her. So um, the next heat comes out, and our other USA girl comes out. I was like, Doris, where is Vera? And she said, I don't know. And I said, did she pass you as you were coming out? And she said, no. Where is she? I know she started. You know, I'm looking all over for her. I I knew she started the race, but it wasn't until later on when I got back to the Olympic Village that I found out that Vera's country had, had not won anything in any sport. And the delegates had come to her and said, you come back with no less than the gold medal. And the pressure 
that that put on her. She had a mental breakdown in the middle of her race. From what I understand, she ran like 300 meters, stopped, walked off the track, out of the stadium, and went over the little bridge that is uh, shaped like a sombrero, tried to jump off and commit suicide. And her coach happened to be somewhere around where he was able to run and catch her and get her and keep her from killing herself. When I heard that, it just broke my heart. I, I, I couldn't imagine being under that type of pressure. My goodness. Yeah. Two days went by and it was time for our finals and I'm getting ready to leave the Olympic Village and go out to catch the bus to go over to the stadium. Somebody said, yeah, hey, Madeline, there's Vera back there. So I turn around and I look back and sh- sure enough, at the, at the gate where her dormitory was, she was standing outside of it with two gentlemen on each of her side. And there was somebody up in her room putting her stuff together, getting ready to take her home. I can't even describe what I felt. It was this tearing inside of me. It was as if the Lord saying, go back. She needs you now. And and I'm thinking, but I've got my finals. My coach is waiting for me. You know, this is what I've, I've trained for. And I'm right at the door. And, and I just, but I couldn't get away from that. Go back. She needs you now. And so finally, I told one of my teammates, I said, tell my coach that I'll be on the next bus. And she said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm not sure, but I've got to go back and just say something to her. So I turn around and as I'm going toward her, all of a sudden, the reality hits me that she doesn't speak English and I sure don't speak no Yugoslavian. (laughs) What in the world am I going to say to this girl? I get there and my heart drops even deeper because I I tried to get her attention by calling her name and she she was so limp and finally she looked up at me and when she did it was dark it was just darkness in her eyes and I had never seen that before that someone who had no desire to live the darkness the light goes out of their eyes I looked at her and I tried to share with her just words of encouragement that she was, you know, still young. She could go back and get some rest and start over again and come back. But everything I said to her, nothing was breaking through. I mean, this cold stare. And finally, I just, I was like, okay, I'm just sharing my faith. And so I said, Vera, I don't know if you understand me or not. But God created you, a great athlete, one of the greatest athletes in the world. He's the one that gave you the the gift that you have. I need you to go back and find Jesus, find Jesus in your life and, and start over again because he loves you. And the life that you have is not your own. It belongs to him. And I don't know what connected. To be very truthful to this day, I don't know with her not speaking English and me not speaking Yugoslavian. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was just a heart to heart contact of her seeing me reach out to her and the the compassion that she felt coming from me and the love. 
And it was real from you, from your point of view, it was real. Yeah, wasn't it? I, 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 you know, I felt bad. I really felt bad for her. But all of a sudden, out of those dark eyes, tears began to rain, roll down her cheek. And I just held her and, and we cried together. And then I, I left and went on to the stadium and history was made, became the first uh, woman. Actually, being the first woman of color, I opened the door for women of color all over the world by winning by a large margin and setting a world record. I had no idea that was in God's plans for me, but that's how it ended up. But the next year in in Germany, I was warming up for the 800 meters. I think it was at uh, probably a European race. And this little guy came over and he, he said, excuse me, uh, Madeline, but I'm Vera Nicolet's coach. And I was like, oh, wow, what happened to her? Is she okay? And he started crying. And I waited. So finally, he said, just one month ago, Vera has been in a mental institution since last year. That, she has, she's been in a mental institution for a, practically a year? Wow. Yeah. And he said, and she has never spoken a word. She never talks. He said, I went every day and I would just sit and talk to her about anything. And she never said anything. He said, last month. She was sitting there and all of a sudden she said, coach, Madeline came back and she was on her way to her finals. And he said, since that time, she's just been getting better and better. And she's here now and she's not in shape, which I was really glad to hear. <laughs> <laughs> You're still emotional about this. I mean, that's been years ago. I, and I know because it, you know, it told me it's not about the sport. I was born to help save lives through the love of Jesus, through my sport. And this was one of the ways that it happened. I turned, I heard somebody calling, Madeline, Madeline. And I turned around and looked across the field and it was Vera and she was running toward me. So we ran and met up in the middle of the field. <laughs> and as women do, we hugged each other and jumping around and screaming and everything. And all of a sudden she stopped and she grabbed me by my shoulders. And she said, I found the God. I found the God. And I said, I can see the light in your eyes. I said, you found life. And that's what this is all about. But, you know, what I want people to understand is that we were born to give our lives away for others. And, and it comes in different ways, in different packages, in different forms, at different times. And th that time, that awakened me to the fact of why I run. And it's not just to win or get accolades. That's icing on the cake. The cake is being there for someone who wanted to die to be able to speak words of life into their very spirit and see them, the answer come a year later when they awaken to the, the few words that I was able to share with them. Jim, I don't, it, I don't know how to put it any plainer than the practical gospel is just walking out your relationship with Jesus in front of people. 
it's it's an amazing story. Anybody who hears this is going to cry when they listen to the story. You Sorry. you are, <laughs> and you've told it yeah. many many times. Uh, I mean, it's just it's just a wonderful story, and you've had opportunities now for decades to minister to people in that very same way. Yep. A lot of people, when they get out the field to compete, the last thing they're thinking about is in any way trying to help their competitor. Yes, of course. But I share it with a lot of athletes. I said, you know, be sensitive to the assignment that God gives to you because you may not see that person ever again. But if the Lord is touching your heart in, to in some way touch another life, even if it is your competitor, and you see, you know, just go over and hug them or shake their hand, or it's amazing to watch the difference. Doesn't it affect you when you watch TV and you see a competitor come up to another competitor and, uh, you know, good job, or, you know, just... We call, I guess we call it um, uh, sportsmanship. Sportsmanship, <laughs> right. yeah. Sportsmanship. There's being sport, good sports. Now, sometimes the good sports are just putting on too, but then there are the real ones yeah, like you who, who really I mean think it. People know the difference. They do. When it's just something, you know, to help you make money. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly or, right. It, you really mean it. And even now, you're still running for Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, what, what are Let you doing? Be on that field or out here in the world somewhere, I'm still running for Jesus. What are you, Maybe what are you, around my house right now because of Corona. <laughs> that's right. I know. I know. What are you doing now? What, what has been your life for the last few years? Well, you know, in 19, well, actually in 2003, I actually incorporated the um, USCSC, the United States Council for Sports Chaplaincy. And that's a program, it's an academic program for Olympians and Paralympians to prepare them as chaplains to go back into their sport and serve their teams. So, you know, because nothing is better than um, having someone who has walked in your shoes to be able to be there for you when you're getting ready to compete. I did not have that. A lot of times because uh, some of my teammates knew that I was a Christian, they would sneak, you know, <laughs> they'd sneak by and I got a question for you, you know, or I read this in the Bible. Can you help explain or would you pray for me? I'm in trouble. I just so being there for them, I always encourage them to be sensitive to the assignment God gives you, whether they're on a track or they're in the hotel somewhere. Um, just be sensitive to that. And that's, really what the USCSC is all, all about in training them and giving them the tools and the skills to uh, effectively uh, work as a chaplain. So that's really where I've been very focused on for the last, since 2003. That program is not available to everybody. Am I correct? No, no, no. It's only for uh, Olympians and Paralympians uh, because we need to take, learn to take care of our own. I think a lot more could have been accomplished from the disasters of the years past had we had chaplains there who were Olympians or Paralympians who could deal with that type of situation uh, that 
athletes find themselves in sometimes. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to build, get an athlete's trust at that level. But if they know you and have developed a relationship with you and feel that you're a, a, a person of your word and integrity and you are able to keep things confident, you know, they'll sit down and talk with you. I'm sure at that level, after a while, if you've been there for a while, you begin to wonder, does everybody just want something from me? And for the most part, they probably do. So it is hard to get, gain their trust, I'm sure. That's true. That's very true. And you and I are going to do more podcasts because you ha- this is this is like <laughs> the tip of the iceberg in the stories of your life, and I want to share more of them. But let me just ask you this question. I don't even know if we reviewed this before we got on the on the podcast here, but what would you like to be remembered for? I would love to to leave the legacy of a woman of God more than she was a great champion. She was a great Olympian. She accomplished a lot of things in the athletic world. But more than that is that I want people to be able to see my love for Jesus. I do uh, more than anything. Uh, I live for him. I want people to know that they can know him, that he's not some God way out there somewhere that doesn't care, uh, but that he's someone who really loves them and, and is there for them as he has been for me. If I can transfer that type of information um, to get a person uh, their attention to look to Jesus and say, well, let me see. You know, she talked about this. Let me see if that work will work for me or not. Well, I'll tell you, the time that I've spent with you on the phone and on our podcast here in our Zoom meeting, uh, I want everybody to know this woman is the real deal, and she loves Jesus, and it is obvious, and her heart yeah. is to serve him all of her life. And I, th- these are the kinds of conversations I just long for because it it exposes the grace of God to people and how much yeah. he wants to do through them, and he's doing it through you, and, and you're not finished yet. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, our kids today want to know if Jesus is real. I did a sermon call, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And I was talking about the Christ that lives within us, standing up and allowing the world to see who he is and and realize that um, he has come not just for a few. He died for the whole world, rose again, that they, each of us can have eternal life. And that is so important because this life is so short. It's short. Eternity is a long time. It is. (laughs) It's like I used to to tell people, I said, the only thing you can take to heaven with you are other people. Really? Probably when, uh, as Lord pulls me in and every time I'm grab a couple more with me, like, (laughs) okay, I can either let you go or you can hang on and go there with me. Which do you choose? (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I love it. If people wanted to contact you or communicate with you, how would they do that? Probably the best way, and it may be old fogey now because our kids are so technology <laughs> uh, rapid, um, is email, to email me. And, you know, I can get back with them, like Madeline, M-A-D-E-L-I-N-E, 
dot mims m i m s at s b c global g l o b a l dot net, and you can put that on your podcast too. Well, we will do that so that uh, people, if they if they have a need or a want, they can they can at least get in touch with you and. I know you can help them. And there's a lot of people who need help out there in that athletic world. Well, this is a strange time that we're living in. And, you know, I've been talking with a lot of the athlete, athletes, excuse me, and sending out podcasts and, and messages to teams and being on Zoom with teams, you know, athletes who are striving to try to stay in there till next year. Uh, where they can't compete, hopefully. It's hard for them. But usually this type of press makes greatness. It brings the greatness out of you in every area of your life. You know, the, the, the philosophical, the psychological, the sociological, the emotional, uh, the, the physical, everything. Because you now have to press through where you had not planned to press through. And some have, you know, have had to back up, slow down, start over again. And that it's, it's not easy to make the U S team. I'll bet not. (laughs) Yeah. It's so hard because we have so much talent. So now some of them that may have been injured and, and they have time to recuperate and come back. And others, uh-huh. it's unfortunate that there are some others that, that this year would have been their last year and they have chosen not to go on. So, but then what do you do? Because now your season and everything is shifting and your life has changed and the world has changed. And so, you know, the answer is, is seeking Jesus and asking him, okay, what's up? You know, what am I supposed to do with this time? How do I fit in this time? It's not a strange thing that I would have been born to be in this time. So in in yielding yourselves and surrender to him, you find where you get a lot more strength and the greatness of who you really, truly are will come out. It always comes down to living your life for Jesus, doesn't it? It really does. You know, I'm... I'm almost 71. You and I aren't too far apart in age here. And uh, the more I think about it, the more I am concluding there's only three things that matter in life. A relationship with Jesus, our family, and serving people. Yes. That's really it. That's You sound, you sound like the Old Testament. <laughs> love your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, everything that is within you, and love your neighbor as yourself. So those are the things that God called for us to do is to, to love him above all and love. And that love will strengthen us and empower us to love others because on our own, we can't do it. <laughs> can't do any of that stuff. You know, that scripture you just read, it's the command of Jesus, one of the greatest commandments. And the truth of it is we can't do either. He has to do it through us. Exactly. It's a, I've never met anybody who's loved God with everything within them. And I've never met anybody who's loved their neighbor as much as themselves completely and totally. That yeah. has to come from God. It abso- it's like when you were on the toilet, it was God that intervened and gave you a love for that woman. It wasn't yourself. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> e- even today, I thank God that, that, 
you know, for the Holy Spirit who abides within us as believers. Because there's so many things that we would fail at. I mean, even little things, you know, like somebody driving in front of you while you're driving down the street and somebody cuts you off. You know, what do you want to do? A lot of times you want to cuss them out. But the Holy Spirit will hold your tongue. Like, I, 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 you know, I put that person in front of you for you to bless them, not curse them. <laughs> that might have happened to me like yesterday. Ah. <laughs> yep. Oh, well. Well, Madeline, thank you so much. You are coming back on. If you're willing, I want you back. I know there's going to be many more stories to tell. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today and for all of you who are listening. I know this podcast is a little longer than most of them, but this is so powerful. Share it with your friends. Have them listen to this. This message is an absolutely amazing message about the grace of God. So thank you all for listening. 